Welcome to the Marketing Muse, a podcast with me, Jackson Edmonds from News and Media, and Mark Russell from B Micro, where we'll be talking about a few things that have piqued our interest in the last couple of weeks. In this week's episode, we take a look at YouTube and potential um, censorship of, of, of some of the channels, and we look at Facebook group hacking, and we go off on a bit of a tangent about what we'd get taught in school after discussing Mark's book for the week. Um, so if those um, topics interest you, then it should be a, a good episode for you. So we'll start with the blog. Yeah, blog this week that I read, which is quite interesting, is um, one about local pack ads, which I just mentioned to you briefly, um, around when you search something on Google, mainly a local service or a business, you'll get um, the first ads, or, or not even ads, the ones, the results that are shown tend to be um, of a local business. So now you can actually put ads on those local business ad, uh, local business listings, which previously I don't think you were able to do. And the way you do it is through the local citations on AdWords. So it's a really good one for local businesses. And sort of if you're doing any sort of local SEO or the Google My Business stuff, you can now um, basically get in front of people higher uh, than you would usually. So it's quite, I'm, I'm, there was quite a bit um, into it. The guy did a video in an interview, the website whitespark.ca, um, but the, it's just a quick guide to local pack ads with the special guest who's talking about it. Um, and it seems like something I'm probably gonna implement with a few people that um, I recommend doing all the local SEO with, and now it's kind of local ads really. So probably saves you going down the route of AdWords and it's a bit different but um, I think something that could be quite beneficial to a lot of people. Does there seem to be a lot of people on that? Or? Do you know what? Not that I'm aware of. Like I've, this is the first time I come across it, I think was the other day, and I've not seen any people actually use it as ads. Like I, I've, Maybe I've not been consciously aware of looking yeah. for it, but I am gonna be now. But from what I can remember, if you type in, you know, I don't know, digital marketing services in Liverpool, you'll get the ones that are closest to you first, and then you get the organic SEO results ones. Um, but those ones that are closest to you, I've never ever seen any um, people saying ad on it. Yeah. I mean, it will explicitly say it's an ad, but it will just be in the top right-hand corner with, on the, um, in red saying ad. But I've never seen that. And oh. I think, to be fair, if you were looking at it, and probably because me and you work on Google and whatnot, we would be able to see, hold on a minute, how's that person got there? Or how's mm. that an ad? So I think if I would have seen it, I would have been more intrigued to figure out what was that ad. Um, but I don't think I have, so one to look out for. Definitely, as you, you've mentioned before, they, a lot of the time they appear above any ads and uh, they're quite prominent, aren't they? So if you can get in there quick while no one else is on there, it should be cheap as well. Yeah, well, I mean, if you search on a mobile um, and you're on, I think, 4G, Google are more than likely to show you the um, local pack results more than any others because the context of why you're searching on mobile, the chances are if you search a business or a service, that's going to be the best an uh, the best answer. Yeah. And that's what Google's about. It's about giving you the best answer. So they... Um, I think they've been it kind of just looking at it now, it's like they've been pushing the local pack anyway, so everyone uses that. They get their Google My Business set up and the reviews and all that pulls through, and then they offer that as ads then. Yeah. 
so it's uh, it's quite an interesting one because whether that links with um, the voice search as well so if voice search becomes more popular let's say we're at home and we search um, and we're looking for answers then the voice search that comes back may be a blog or a, you know a specific page answering that question but if you're just out on your phone and you still search you know local restaurants it might even be the local pack ads that come through on that then mm. so I'll just set them up through the local citations and adwords oh. so you do normal adwords but then you just do the site links or the extensions yeah. you do it through local there's one that should be for local now the location extension yeah that's it Okay. interesting Okay. Um, mine's a, a Seth Golden one. Um, so it's it's called it was called Born to Paint, and it's you know there's he says there's seven billion of us in the world. There's probably been you know X amount of billion that have lived in all time, but only a thousand of them were ever considered um, geniuses, painters, and you know there's a right right. Um, and the, the the one I got from the blog was it. it it's also saying, how do you know that you're not that good? You know, it's such a small percentage, and most people have never even tried to get good at that, right. um, or are good at something. Um, and it, it just got me thinking really about, you know, I think it's important to just try as many things as possible. Mm. You know, whether that be a new job or um, a business or a new hobby. Um, it's just good to give something a go, isn't it? I think if if you find something that you really enjoy, you'll you'll put up with that period of being really bad at it because you're passionate and you enjoy it, and you'll get through that, and then you'll become better. But yeah. it's never too late to to pick up a new skill or try and become a um, Renaissance level painter. painter yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was something that I did see from I think it was Seth Godin, or it was it was about how to be creative or. or to make yourself think that you are creative and but relating it to a drawing so the example was write a scribble down on a piece of paper just a load of squiggles a load of lines right and then put basically um two right right angle lines either side opposite um and then a triangle on one of the opposite sides and then a dot so it was like an eye and every one of them looks like a bird so it looks then like you've drawn a bird yeah, but yeah. all you've done is drawn a load of squiggles you put two legs on it and you put a beak and then you put an eye by the beak and every one it doesn't matter what the squiggle looks like they all look like birds and it's like you know you think you can't draw yeah all of a sudden now you, you <laughs> you've just drawn birds for well, example that's one of the things you mentioned in that blog actually is everyone thinks that these people are just born you know, we, we, we leave creative work to people who are born creatives. And, mm. and it, se- it seems to be a bit of a theme at the moment that I'm seeing in quite a lot of blogs and tweets and podcasts is, is that thing, is that message that we're all creative if we want to be. You've just got to put in the work and yeah. um, discover what you create, what your way creativity lies, really. Yeah. I think the big thing with creativity is it's not not necessarily have to be about colour and paint and drawing no. you know looking a process that is streamlined is creative you yeah. know solving a problem it's it's problem solving it's just the way you go about or telling stories you know creative problem solving could be a spreadsheet that is minimised loads of time yeah. you know but then telling a story through uh, visual means could be uh, painting so there's, it's the definition really that I think people get strung up on but Seth Godin's great for all that, isn't he? Yeah, his blogs are brilliant. 
sort of not even it's just I, I, I'm trying not to dig into my feet every single three or four <laughs> times a day anymore but he does one a day they take yeah. a minute to read so you can read you know you can just sit there and do two three weeks worth in, mm. in one big section um, and there's always you know a couple of weeks that um, like they're all amazing but the, it's one of them that you'll always find something that appeals to you in there like whatever you're going through at the moment I don't mean that in like a you know it, it, whatever challenges you've got at the moment work-wise particularly you'll find something mm. in there that you can say oh, I, can, I can apply that to what, whatever I'm doing at the moment um, yeah great yeah. blog overall um, a book we're reading um, so I've been reading We Were Eight Years in Power which is a book about um, it's it's by Ta-Nehisi Coates um, it's about um, the Obama administration um, that it's really good if you're into like politics and history but I just thought I'd mention that one but I was I'll mention it a little bit I'll mention this a bit more in the video part but um, the chief business officer of yeah of of YouTube has just brought out a book called Steampunk Steampunk's YouTube Creators Transforming Lives nice. um, which looks really interesting um, I think I'll pick that up I thought yeah that's a bit more of in line with the, the theme of the show so I thought I'd mention that yeah. Um, but yeah um, YouTube's massive at the moment it's in the new well not just in, in terms of users I mean but I'll, again I'll talk about this a bit more in a bit but it's in the news constantly it's just like my little brother I reckon he watches 90% of his, his video consumption On is YouTube, YouTube watches very little TV yeah. and when he does it's like it's like adult programs that he that right. he sort of he's 12 but he like he, he, he loves like Vera on ITV and stuff like that which he'll watch with me now and stuff like that but he, yeah when it comes to video it's all YouTube for him yeah. YouTube and Netflix like a traditional TV is just disappearing out of people's lives isn't mm. it and um in, in that sort of you know all sitting around watching at the same time anyway yeah um, but yeah it's for YouTube book nice I think a book that um, you just reminded me about an event which we'll talk later anyway it's about YouTube so that kind of links in um, yeah still on them introducing guides so I read the last one on the podcast was the relativity one then I read one on economics, which is really good, going through all the big thinkers in economics. And then after that, I've just finished the Marxism one. And that is one complex topic, you know, like, it's insane. That, even though it was a small graphic guide and it, you know, is about 150 yeah. pages, condensed it all down. But there's so many things that spin off it that come in, like, and then they start talking about, like, postmodernism. And then that goes, that's, like, deeper than economics. And then sociologists start getting involved and... Oh, it was just it went it goes off on tangents and I can see why that I never really I, I got the, the concept of it but I never realised how much it influenced in today's society and, and, and thinkers and you know sociologists and philosophers they all basically had their own thing and adaptation of what Marxism was and post-Marxism and then it talks about Lenin and Stalin and what they wanted to achieve and kind of what Marx initially set out and with Engels, um, which he, he was lived in Manchester, wasn't it? Um, in the 19th century, 
But it was really interesting, you know, a good history and a back story of what it is that that's all about and what it come to and some of the theories that are now playing in play and even, you know, what could go forward and whether or not any of it gets realised. But a real good insight, solid insight into the concept. And then there's loads of stuff now that if you wanted to go deeper, you could go in many directions to explore other um, of the intellectual pursuits of what people have done through that. Um, but yeah, real complex and abstract topic. Yeah. But good. I've still got your um, your throated one that I need to have another look at. Yeah, I got plenty to get through before yeah, I get to there. Yeah. <laughs> now they look really good. Yeah, You're really into them, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on yeah. the next one after this is capitalist capitalism, and then it moves on to less financial ones. Oh, so there's, there is an order to them. Well, no, I've just got them all on the shelf and I'm oh, going through. Okay. It just happened to be that I had relativity, economics, okay. Marxism, and then capitalism. And I can't remember what the next is one is. Is there a philosophy one? Yeah, there is a philosophy one. Yeah, yeah. I'm look, I might, um, might borrow that one off you as well. I'm looking for, like, because we've been talking a lot about Stoicism, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and I'm just interested in some of the other threads of philosophy and, you know, what you can... Because I always used to think, you know, philosophy as a degree is a bit of a, like, <laughs> cop out but uh, it just nah. teaches you how to think doesn't it yeah like that's, that's, that's it. all it is it's it's teaching you different ways to think about things and yeah um that's the thing i think then. with philosophy uh, degrees or it should just be taught at school like how to whether you call it philosophy or not but like how to think how to make decisions impacted critical decisions thinking. critical thinking and then, but the thing is, you can go to uni and you can learn how to do the philosophy and do the critical thinking, but then no one's going to employ you because you just, all you know, you just know how to think, you don't know how to apply. Mm. Although that's not necessarily a bad skill because the training should be there to be able to then nurture that. It's just, it's not a very practical one in terms of a applied skill like marketing like or, yeah. or, or business management or, you know, HR. It's like you oh, did it's HR. definitely not a, um, like a vocational degree, is it? It's a... Yeah, it's more of like a, I don't know, like different type of intellectual. It's not very applicable to, it is applicable once you've got the the core skill. But if mm. you go to uni, you go to uni to learn the core skill and then you apply that. Um, whether or not that should be the way is a different uh, question. But I think you should already have that critical element before you get to a level of education being uni where you then choose something to hone in on that then you can leave and apply you know and it, it's it should be done well well before uni that, that those types of subjects i think but then half the time i mean people you know you try and condense some of these concepts when you're like 14 you're just gonna be like yeah whatever <laughs> or, or you might not be i mean probably i'm being a bit biased on how i would have been but yeah no i know what you mean but yeah i think there needs to be we could go on about this all day i think but into, you know what we're teaching kids in school definitely needs to be a little bit more we're just teaching them stuff which they then repeat and then they get a mark and then they move on and they do that and there needs to be a bit more I think teaching kids you know like stoicism would be great to teach kids early on when they're going through those periods of especially with social media the way it is now and the yeah. pressure that's on kids yeah. you know showing them that there is a different way rather than just being all full of anxiety and stuff. Yeah, we could go on about that all day. Um, a <coughs> podcast. 
Yeah, podcasts still on uh, the Joe Rogan and that fintech one. So I haven't moved on either because that fintech one takes it's about an hour and a half each one, and then Joe Rogan's at about three and a half hours. So the last one, um, well, actually, I'm listening to one with Dennis McKenna at the moment with Joe Rogan, but the one that I'll probably share is one with a guy called Lawrence Krauss, who's a cosmologist and theoretical physicist. Um, so he's, he's got a new book out. It was This was last year, though, so nine, episode 938, I think he's on about 1,100, no, 1,100 now. So I'm nearly catching, nearly there. But um, it was quite good. I mean, it's really out there, and he talks, he blows Joe Rogan's mind quite a lot, and he does know quite a lot about physics and cosmology and stuff. But he just, it's funny, some of the, some of the sayings that this Lawrence Krauss has, I remember one, it was, <laughs> it's like you have the illusion uh, that you think you're significant, you know, in the terms yeah. of like physics and like how everyone is and like the, the end of the, well not the end of the world, his book's something about the greatest story ever told and talking about the end of the world or whatever. Um, <laughs> not, not, not the terms of the what end of the story. world. What a story. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not really like the end of the world, but kind of like the period of like whether it be 12 billion years or whatever it is and all this type of stuff and how things play out but in terms of humans and like it talks about this um symmetry like i can't really explain it but it was good to listen to and it's just interesting how you can like our day-to-day problems can are so insignificant and us as people yeah. and humans in the space of time right that the earth's been around it just makes you look at things and you know, laugh, because if you took it seriously, <laughs> it's pointless taking it serious, which then makes you question everything about you, things that you take seriously. Yeah. And it, I think it does go back to that stoicism sense in a way, but this is with a bit more, uh, with a bit more uh, a physics hat on. But good, good. I mean, if you're into all that, and I've been getting into it quite recently. Uh, I think a lot of the podcasts and books I've been talking about have been dominated by physics. It tends to be the last couple of months. But... Uh, yeah, I think I'm coming out of that bit now, and then I'm mm. moving into something else. But yeah, just another classic Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I think um, the way you've approached them has sort of influenced my new podcast and <laughs> way of working, which is like, I just type in a subject now of something that I'm interested in, mm. or buy a book about it, and rather than consuming every single podcast that someone puts out. Um, I have just started one on the the American Civil War and Reconstruction as a result of re- start to read that eight, we are eight years and right, we were eight right. years in power and stuff so yeah definitely trying to be a little bit um, kickier but I feel oh yeah I've been reading that um, in Russell Brand's new book okay. called Recovery nice. um, and he talks a lot about that um, you know how insignificant we really are in the whole history of the universe yeah, yeah. and why you know that's exactly why we should be trying to be a bit kinder to ourselves, I think, is how he's phrasing it. It's basically a updated version of, it's, it, well, he's got he, he's done the 12 Steps program, the, like the Alcoholics Anonymous one, right. that they do, and it's just, it's a book about that, essentially. Each okay. chat, each step has got a chapter, um, but it's really weird, because I'm reading it <laughs> properly, but, because obviously I listen to a lot of audio books, so I'm used to sort of like, by now I'm, I listen to a lot of podcasts so I'm used to hearing people's voice in my head as I'm reading whereas if I'm reading a, a normal book by who I don't know the, the author what they sound like or anything it's just my voice in my head because I know what he sounds like right. 
Ah, so reading it, it's in his voice. <laughs> it's fucking weird. Honestly, it's like I can, I can read it, in it and it's in his accent. It's crazy. Um, a podcast I've listened to. Um, Seth Godin's launched a podcast um, called Akimbo. Um, it's another Zip Recruiter one. I've got a feeling, well, it's sponsored by Zip, Zip Recruiter. Yeah. They seem to be everywhere at the moment. I think they're going around offering people to sponsor podcasts right. and then they're doing the podcast okay because it's weird because it's like everyone seems to be sponsored by Zip Recruiter it's either that or they've realised that it's a hundred times more powerful than radio advertising yeah. it's still quite cheap and any time anyone they hear of a podcast they're just jumping on it because yeah. I think that podcast adverts are really good yeah. because um, the audience is a bit more engaged and they drop adverts in here and there which are yeah which are a bit more um, useful whereas radio is just you know shouting into space really um but the one i've been listening to is the cal fussman one so he did he interviewed um, tim ferris for his first few which i didn't listen to um but i just listened to his kobe bryant one which is really good he's a journalist um unbelievable storyteller um he's done tim ferris a couple of tim ferris podcasts as the guest um, and he just tell the stories he tells are just unbelievable. Like really? it, the, the amount of detail he goes into. So um, he's done is 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 well his third one or second one depends on how you look at it. Um, it's with Scooter Braun, I think he's jo- Justin Bieber's manager. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's 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 really good. Great interviewer. Um, if you want the be- the best one he's done so far is there was like the pilot episode he did, which was a Tim Ferriss. It was a Tim Ferriss. <laughs> podcast but he presented it and he interviewed Larry King right. and I've, I think I've mentioned it before on, on one of the previous episodes it's unbelievable because Larry King again mm. is an unbelievable storyteller and is unbelievable like conversationalist so um, well worth checking out nice I think I did see that uh, you shared it I think I decided I started following it on Stitcher or mm. Tune Radio whichever it was yeah it'd be good he's good really good um, a video we've watched um, so I, I mentioned it briefly when we were talking about the book but um, Casey Neistat who's obviously um, like the probably the biggest YouTuber vlogger right. around I would possibly I don't know one of them anyway um, but he's a filmmaker does a really big um, vlog um, he's been in the news a little bit recently because he he sold his company to CNN and then pulled they pulled out of it because it wasn't really working and all so um, he's just recently interviewed um, Robert Kanchel he's a Czech guy who's now the chief business officer of YouTube right. who I mentioned before um, essentially this was an interview about um, the the J the Logan Paul right, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Logan Paul did the video of him in that suicide forest in Japan, and um, he got took off like the preferred partners and all the all of the um, the cushy YouTube deals. He YouTube Red. He had the show on there apparently, and he got pulled. Um, and then his first video back after all these apologies apologies was um like electrocuting mice and stuff like that. What? Um, so. There's, there's just been a lot of uproar lately about the stuff that YouTube is putting out and I do sort of feel like they may be getting a little bit of a hard time like I don't remember the backlash from Jackass because I wasn't old enough I just watched it and thought it was dead funny so I don't know if I'm sure MTV dealt with similar issues at the time 
of what YouTube's going through at the moment. But I think he, he, he did this, the, the CBO did this interview and there was a bit of negativity about it, which if you read the comments that a lot of the community, YouTube creator community don't feel like they really got the answers that they needed out of it, right. especially the really small ones who've been hit hardest by um, the, um, you've got to have a thousand subscribers now before you can advertise and right, stuff right. like that. Um, so they've been hit quite hard by it because of the, the first problem, which was the terrorist videos. Um, but they just seem to be allowing these creators, um, the likes of Jake Paul and Logan Paul, who were like, you know, they're just met man child, or right. so just grown up kids really, appealing to 9, 10, 11, 12 year old kids, um, acting like idiots. Now, there's, there's YouTubers going around doing fake acid attacks and stuff like that. I see, what? and YouTube just don't seem to want to clamp down on it, and they're not. Not only are they not clamping down on it, but their response to these things is like criminally slow. Right. For a company that moves so fast, they just—it's like they're hoping that it just disappears in a week or so, and then when there's been no response, they're then responding, and it—you know—you can't really be allowing that sort of stuff on your platform, especially when you know it's being put out to to kids. Because um, those, you know, how old are you questions on YouTube are difficult to get around. Yeah. You know, this stuff wouldn't be allowed on BBC at three o'clock in the afternoon or on after school TV. So YouTube, I think, have to start. They really need to start clamping down a little bit on think and you know, being careful what who's seeing this stuff and because it's it's just you know. We, these are the jackass generation now so mm. it's just sort of developing out of that and it's just it's like the f- I, a lot of stuff now reminds me of the frog in the boiling pan you know if you stick it in boiling water it'll jump out but if you just slowly heat it to boiling it'll stay in there and cook itself to death right um, we're just living in this world now where it's, things are just slowly getting Simmering. different there's just, just only slight changes from what once used to outrage people yeah. and people and they're just getting away with it a little bit so I think they just need to be careful about um, what's being put out there or they're going to end up in a situation like Facebook I think where the brand is going to be damaged so much that people stop trusting it which I think Facebook is struggling with at the, yeah. the last couple of weeks but yeah that was a bit of a rate that was a bit of a um, a, a, a bit of a rant and a bit of went a bit all over the place, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting interview. Um, I'm sure it was it was sort of vetted a little bit, but um, it's always worth checking out when someone in that sort of position gets in front of a camera. Really, yeah. I I think that you know it's up for them, or it's up to the people what they upload, right? And if people want to watch it and it ruins their brand and they don't take any action, then it's their own fault for not controlling it. But I think they're probably just going to see it out and hopefully as time goes on people's behaviours change or people themselves realise that this is wrong to watch, this is disgusting because yeah. the only reason that people are doing it is because they're getting the eyeballs. The re- the, as soon as they, it shouldn't be up, I don't think it should be up to YouTube to stop people watching that. It should yeah. be, it should be, for the for the younger generation, yeah, there should be some controls and you know how you can get around, yeah, I'm over 18, right, it's quite easy, but that there probably should be something in there. But it's up to you know the public to turn around and be like you know as a society we don't approve of this content and that day is probably not happening anytime soon. Yeah. Like there's going to be more extremist type stuff. Yeah. Um, but this stuff is appealing to 
nine, ten, eleven, twelve year old kids, which is his audience or their audience. Yeah. Do you think it gets? Do you think we ever get to the point where, um, you know, when you sign up for your Monzo card, you have to take a photo of your ID? Do you think we get to that? Potentially, yeah, potentially. Where there is a. Um, we need proof. You need we need proof about how old you are to get on social media, to get a fake. Or you know, there's. You can, everyone can, should be able. I think everyone should be able to access YouTube, Facebook, yeah. Twitter. If they want to, that's perfectly fine. But maybe everything gets a rating. And if you're not eighteen, if you're not fifteen, if you're not twelve, or however your ratings in your country work, yeah, you can't see you can't certain yeah. certain videos. Um, it is. It is. They going on the line of censorship then, which isn't you know ideal. But at the same time, but do we censor? For, do you think we that the, 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 do you think that's censorship, or do do we censor films, or are we just making sure people aren't you know exposed to stuff that they shouldn't really be? You know, should a ten year old be watching an eighteen film? The thing is, no. But then, is the ten year old getting shoved that eighteen year old? film through ads like it you know mm. if they actively looking for it and they come across it then fair enough but if they're getting shoved it and they're getting you know they're interrupting people to say check this out then yeah. that shouldn't be allowed because you're going out of your way to put something in front of someone that they shouldn't really be or they're not at the point of their life that they're going to stumble across that organically if it's not organic that they stumble across it then Potentially, there should be some sort of way where that shouldn't happen. But then again, you know, you could say organic, and it could be like an influencer then promoting, and then it's like indirect advertising, then or the native advertising, yeah. and then is that organic or is that interruption? You know, and it's kind of that. That's where the, there's a grey, you know, a, a, a yeah. sort of grey area as to well, we're not actually interrupting them because we're not paying. We're just paying this person, and they get in front of them, and they already agree yeah. to, to 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 see them. So yeah, it's probably a bit of a headache, but should be some sort of I feel that's the way we're going now I feel you know I imagine films didn't have a rating at one point mm. and then people started to say we can't that's you know we right, need to do yeah. this and I think there's just a bit of a backlash around social media Facebook in particular at the moment which is um, hurting children's development mm. and I think there's, at some point people are going to start saying well, we need you know we need to start protecting people a little bit, and we're we're going to start restricting their access to um, to these sites or to this content or that. You know. So yeah, I think that that's I think that's when I say YouTube needs to do something. I think that's more realistically what it needs to be. If Jake Paul wants to put out videos designed which only people over fifteen or sixteen should be able to watch, then. Let's make it so that yeah, that's the case. You know, yeah. some you know kids don't know that some of the stuff that they do is not really proper behaviour. You know, right. again, you know the Jake Paul, the, the brother of Logan Paul, was the first one in the news, wasn't he? Because he got kicked out of his house pretty much, or he tried to, because right. he was like lighting fires in his in this million multi million pound house that he'd got. Um, <laughs> from being a YouTuber <laughs> and they were just having these mad parties and it's like, oh, that's funny that I wish I could do that and it's like, no, it's just not, it's not grown up to be Yeah, true, You true. know, you shouldn't be emulating that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, as you say, censorship's a big thing but I think there's just, I think it serves a point, a sort of purpose when it's, you know, 
I think that 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 whole thing around the internet being censored scares a lot of people because yeah. then it becomes censoring information or censoring the news, but the news is already censored, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think something needs to be done to stop this crap or getting into the hands of people who are easily influenced. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Uh Good topic, yeah. Censorship on YouTube and just video content online in general, really. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, uh, a video I watched was one um, called Bio Inspired Design, and this stuff blew my mind. Right, there's um, it was a talk that was at the World Economic Forum last year, and this two guys, fifteen minutes on one, no, about yeah, fifteen minutes on one, about twenty minutes on the other. The first one is a guy who uh, called Juan Carlos Castilla Rubio, and he's the chairman of Space Time Ventures, which is uh, a group of um, like scientists and technologists from Brazil. And what they're doing is, I was reading into this and I was like, blockchain's in here somewhere. I was like, they've just said a code bank and a database that can be accessed. And they didn't mention blockchain until like later on in the talk, but I just knew somewhere it would be. So what they're basically they're doing is all the, in the Amazon, right, all the biodiversity in there, you've got like ants, and you know how ants like have this hive mind and they mm -hmm. like collectively think and they make structures and they do all this innovation that they've got. That's then been transferred into how traffic is created or like how people create cities and how, you know, it should be like thermodynamics or like there's um, how the airflow of air conditioning works. So the IP essentially comes yeah. from the biodiversity of insects and animals that are in this um, region, you know, being the Amazon. And, you know, there's other things that could be like snake venom that then is used for um, uh, chemical cure, uh, chemical cures, it, uh, cures for diseases and all this type of stuff. So all the stuff that happens within that biodiversity environment that then is used going forward, whether it's be a strain of its DNA that's then developed that then is a cure for something, right, some sort of illness, they're not getting paid, right? because obviously they're insects, right? They're not getting anything in return from their IP, essentially. So this guy's gonna create a bank uh, that basically, it's like uh, doing something with DNA and the sequencing, and it logs all of this biodiversity and the DNA and all their IP in one database, right? That then people can access and use. And when they use it, they make a smart contract, and this is where the blockchain bit comes in. So they make a, they create a smart contract with this ledger, right? This this code, this DNA code bank, um, and then every time one of it gets used, it will get alerted as to what the use case is for, and then give money back to this biodiverse system, right? And the people that get the money are the people that are doing research to then find out more because there's, you know, like there's a species or a number of species that get found every day in the Amazon that have never been tapped into before. So that's more IP, do you see what I mean? So the yeah. more research that goes into it, the more that can get found, which then helps humanity, you know, and it helps people and scientists create a use case for it that then cures something or improves a system of something or creates an innovation in, you know, electronics or whatever it is. Like there's loads of use cases in commercial and industrial purposes now that have been stemmed from how insects and animals interact with one another and what they're made of. So that was like insane first bit and I was thinking, they're going to use like IoT, they're going to use AI, they're going to use all like the fourth industrial revolution technologies to basically create this international code bank. Um, and then they're going to start hopefully exploring other parts of the world. 
but that space time ventures and that guy uh Juan carlos he is part of loads of stuff and he's got like the planetary alliance is another thing he's part of that do similar things and is he a spaceman no <laughs> the names of some of these are amazing yeah <laughs> you never know yeah it'd be in he'd probably uh he'd be in space soon maybe doing a, a bank of space or whatever but yeah it was really really interesting um and the other talk was a guy who's a Dutch guy from Rotterdam who's got a studio and basically he's like an artist or does that um, exhibitions and uh, installations. And one of the installations he was doing was uh, in, you know, what's the Rijksmuseum Museum in Amsterdam? You know, where you've got the I am Amsterdam sign. Never been. Right. So there's the I, I love Amsterdam sign there and it's a big square and then you've got the yeah. Rijksmuseum Museum at the back. He did this installation saying that we, uh, like everyone in 50 years time is going to be, this place would be um, below or above uh, water, right? So it, what he's shown was the uh, illuminating the waves. So yeah. everyone, where they're standing, like taking the camera and above are these waves, basically saying that in 50 years time, you're going to be underwater if we don't mm. do anything. So then it like asked questions about floating cities and what does this mean? And like, you know, all the things about what they have to do. and. He's got this other one that um, this smog, uh, what was it now? This smog can like air conditioned unit, which basically has been in places like Beijing and whatnot. And it, it's just this uh, machine that flips up and then flips down again. And every time it flips up and down, it takes in the air and then it breathes out clean air. Mm. And then what it takes in all the carbon and stuff is like this black, um, just this black powder really and then that gets turned into diamonds because if you apply heat onto carbon it turns into a diamond so then he's making so then he's been really creative with all the waste and stuff and then he, he's gets people to buy the diamonds and then donates it to then do more of this type of stuff um but he was talking about loads of mad stuff like around this smog machine and stuff around like algae creating electricity kites puts a kite up in space and it um because it, and then the way it moves creates the energy and then that that can light up to 200 houses so there's loads of different things that he's been exploring um all through this sort of bio inspired design and really really interesting about 35 minutes long um but yeah kind of it was a saturday morning i got i was, I was actually come across it from um been reading the economist right so not the digital edition the print one and it takes me so long to get through one and anyway i was reading this and i was like wow this sounds amazing then when i googled it and then uh, i was about an hour later kind of come out of it <laughs> so it was um yeah some really interesting there's a, that was a, there was a lot in there yeah there is yeah. there is a lot in there it's fresh in the mind as well because it was yesterday morning and i was just mind blown but the thing is i have come across some of the similar stuff like this before with um biomimicry design so you know mm. the eden project yeah that was done by a few guys that focus specifically on biomimicry design, which is basically looking at nature and biochemistry and the, the, the I guess the, the way insects live and stuff like that, and then creating a system and buildings and structures that relate to how they deal with rainfall, how they deal with snow or heat and all that type of yeah. stuff. Um, so it's kind of very similar, like bio-inspired design, biomimicry design, quite related. Um, concepts I guess mm. that first one the bank of, of um, you know information and data do you think like blockchain just does away with patents almost because it's like if you've got a bank of all the stuff that you've created and then everyone gets access to that 
and then you just get a payment when they access that information, then like if all of the information is on a transparent yeah, database. You know, if 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 there's no squabbling about say uh the what I was thinking what the th- thought thing I thought about was pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. So if you can say, you know, oh here's you know the the formula for this medicine, but every time you sell it we need to get X percent. Mm. Um and then there's no squabbling over. But you've you've got to access the f- the formula through this system which then ties back to us and it's all linked then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think well the person that creates it owns the IP, they just mm. make it transparent for people to then create contracts every time they want to use it. So yeah. it's similar to the degree where it's like you create something then you give license or royalty or you have um, an agreement with another person to sell or use your IP and make profit off it that they yeah. get profits. Similar way just I think it's a bit more transparent and a lot, lot more efficient. Like so yeah, you probably won't need some of the um I don't know, some of the IP issues that you probably come up today. I don't really know enough about IP to basically give an answer, mm. but I can imagine it will affect it and either make it more efficient in some way. It just it'll just depend on how many smart contracts or what the smart contract yeah. is and who can create one and how often it needs updating and, and whatnot. But yeah, it was really the it was like that bit aside, like the the biodesign bit that's really interesting but then it's when it started getting into the technology side as to you know it's going to use AI it's going to use blockchain it's going to use internet of things um, and all of it's going to talk to one another and then it was just that was just took it to the next level and it was like you could just see how that could work and I think they've got funding now but I think the reason they were doing this economic forum thing was basically say look we need money to do this so hopefully they get the funding they need and continue to get it because it would be a yeah could could change a lot of things. Mm. Interesting. Um, an app that we've used. Oh, an app. Yes. That was it. Mix. Where is it now? Mix Max. It's actually a Chrome extension that you can put and you can tie into your Gmail. And um, I installed it the other day and I've been playing about with it. It's quite good. I mean, it's one of those where you know you can have um, the set responses um, on Gmail, yeah. And you know if you always send the same sort of email like about meetings and about yeah. um, you know things to do and checklists or whatever, it just gives you this um, Chrome extension that kind of you can just choose from templates and you can just copy and paste. Or you don't have to copy and paste. You just click from a drop-down menu. It's like yeah, that template, that mm-hmm. template, and it will kind of change it all for you. So. Um, and then it gives you the insights as to like who's opened your email and all that type of uh, sidekick stuff from HubSpot. So kind of like that with a bit more productivity-based um, features, and you can install it for free. Nice. Yeah, some of that, uh, like those um, when people have opened your emails or when they've read them is really is good. But most most of them make you pay for it, don't they? So yeah. Um, yeah. They get a bit annoying after a mm. while because it keeps giving you an alert every time they opened it, and you just think. Someone's just not opened it six times. Like it just doesn't yeah. It's a bit of a glitch. That was sidekick anyway. That was, but I wasn't really a fan of that. Um, I've not got an uh, I've not got an app that I'm using, but I've stopped using Uber. It's okay. my, my only app related story, I suppose. Um, I just read an article a while ago, which I know I knew they were 
I've read before about them, you know, being a source company that takes rather than gives to communities yeah. and stuff. Um, and I just read before that they, they've got like the highest burn rate of any company ever, you know, and it's the those taxi rides are making a loss, yeah, but the being, um, what's the word I'm on for, subsidized by venture capitalist money essentially yeah, those taxi rides those cheaper taxi rides that you're taking um, and then when they wipe out local taxi companies and black cabs over here black cabs anyway then the prices will just go up but they'll have wiped out all these local yeah. competitors competitors so I'd just rather pay the extra two quid and let them all the money stay here that's just yeah I don't find it to be too much of an issue at this point but yeah I'm just I've got my marks instead on. <laughs> Let's keep the money local. Do you know, um, the guy, there's a, a newsletter I sign up to from a guy called Andrew Chen. He was like VP of growth at Uber. And he's just moved. He's just leaving now. He's, mm. um, I got the email the other day saying he's moving on to uh, Andreessen Horowitz VC firm. Oh, nice. Um, but it, that's just another one. It's just, I think he was at Uber for two years or something. But I just thinking, you know, the, the wheels of Uber are maybe slightly coming off. Mm. Like obviously there was all the thing with the CEO and stuff, but now I mean I, there might have been other people that have joined and left, but just from knowing this guy, this Andrew Chen, he's like a beast when it comes to like data science and marketing, and growth marketing. And now he's leaving, so that's going to be a big hit. And I don't think, well, there are many growth scientists, marketers out there in Silicon Valley, but you know it's just the you know, the reason of someone that is probably at the top of their game in that field is leaving uh, yeah. that company. And what does that say that, you know, that does that attract higher caliber people or does it attract a lower caliber or, uh, you know, an equal, but either way, it just doesn't seem like a good sign because they're still growing. Do you, know, you see that his job's not done like for Uber and not for anyone, well, for anyone he goes to, because that's what they're probably hiring for. But in terms of what he was doing at Uber, they've not suddenly reached a point where they've stopped growing and he can go. You know, they still need to grow even more, so they need his skill more yeah. than anything. And it, it's just maybe a sign of the times as to showing the person that was vice president of growth is leaving. Like, what mm. does that mean? Does that mean they stopped growing or did they, is there something up there? Um, but I do remember him talking on previous blogs that he really bought into what Travis like the leadership the vision yeah. and maybe the reasoning from leaving is the fact that he's no longer there and mm. he, he bought into his vision and not and I guess you know that that's not in place anymore as much so I don't know interesting though I mean they're getting fired in from all angles aren't they but they've got data yeah you know, that's 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 the cost that's why it's cheap they've got mass amounts of data on people and how people um, move and not just that is that they can then use that to create algorithms, which then for machine learning and AI, that's where the that's where the value is. Is the people that have the data can create good AI. That's where the and the, the battlefield is who can create the best AI. And if you've got the most data, you will the higher likely chance of creating a better AI. So that's why yeah. they've got the value. That um that Mark Andreessen from. Andreessen Horowitz is a good follow on Twitter. Yeah, he's um, ranting all the time. Tim Ferriss's um, podcast is really good. He speaks fast, doesn't he? Mm, he's good. <laughs> he's, he's good. I wish I was that clever. <laughs> yeah, he's got a good story that he did Netscape, didn't he? And mm -hmm. then, yeah. 
I haven't got a Marlin tool, so have you? Yeah, well, um, I might be able to pull one in for you. So I found one, right, Grouply. It's grouply.io, and it is a Facebook group member extractor. So super spammy, super great, B2B <laughs> leads, eat your heart out. Um, but what it is, and I was thinking about this the other day, I mentioned it in the social media meetup, how you could probably get around the GDPR with this, right? So you go into a Facebook group, um, there is a blog as well that you can use another thing called anyleads.com, I think it is. And what, what the Facebook extractor will do, you put it in a group and it will give you a CSV of the name um, and the group and whatever company they're associated with um, if they put on Facebook that they've got a company. Yeah. And you can get that down to CSV, then you can run that through this AnyLeads and the AnyLeads will match the name of the company to give you a company email, right? So. One of the ways for using this could be to get, I guess, B2B leads that you then do your outreach to. But the thing is to do the outreach, you need the email, and Grouply doesn't give you the email, it just gives you a CSV file so you can get the email from something like any leads. Um, so if you add all this data, you run through a load of Facebook groups that are relevant for your target yeah. audience or whatnot, you get the CSV, you've matched the email, then you send an email to them, basically pitching them kind of like who you are, why, how you've got their email, why you think it'd be relevant, and then if they'd like to sign up to hear more from you, right? And then that's the one email that they could either say delete, no, then you don't email them again, or they click yes, okay, tell me more, and then they're opted in then. So there is a way that you could probably build up a database through a sort of semi gray hat way of doing it, but being upfront and transparent in the, on the first communication to say, look, yeah. this is how I got your email, this is how I did it, this is why I think you're gonna be interested in it, let us know if you are and you wanna hear more, yes or no. You know, it might be, to be fair, you probably get a better response than just random emailing the people yeah. without telling them anyway, and then just saying, you know, here's our latest blog, or you know, here, you might be interested in this service, X, Y, Z. But if you're upfront and you say, this is how I found your email, this is why I'm emailing you, here's some value I think you're gonna get uh, you're going to benefit from and do you want to keep hearing from you you know it's a good way of getting around of being compliant with GDPR in a marketing sense but using mm. a technique that you would think well we can't do that anymore yeah, yeah. so it was a really really good tool that I come across and um, it's also a Chrome extension that you can use so the power of the Facebook group I yeah I, th I think I think it also helps you find groups as well uh, Facebook groups so I'd definitely recommend it and I've got um, you can get you know it's either $97 a year or free trial with 500 uh, members but groups have way more than 500 so mm. it's probably worth spending the money but I'm going to um, I've got some use cases that I can um, use it for which I'm going to I'm going to do and then another tool let's have a look I found another one which is quite good for Instagram hashtags, so I'll just make a note of this one. Um, it's called instavest.com, and what you do is it generates, it's a free tool that automatically generates related hashtags, right, based on a photo or a keyword. So you can upload a photo, uh -huh. and it will try and figure out what the keywords that are gonna be relevant for that are, or you can give it a keyword and then it will say, kind of like display purposes, you give it a keyword and it will give you recommended ones. Yeah, I was trying to think of the name of that, but yeah, display purposes. 
So yeah, um, Instagram hashtag generator, and it's currently in beta. So um, any feedback that you can give to them, they'll probably try and uh, add it into their product. Nice. And then you can either have one account and it's ten dollars a monthly, um, and then there's some other. In fact, actually, that InstaVest one, the hashtag smart, hashtag generates free, but they do have other software, which is the sort of Instagram bots, the automated direct messaging mm -hmm. and automated the comment trackers. So they have kind of grey hat bots. Yeah. yeah and, but okay. they, and then they have this free tool, which it goes, that, we've talked about it before, that um, tool marketing, tool-based marketing. You yeah. create something that's free, everyone uses it, and then they realize that you've got other products that, oh, okay, that's quite relevant, I'll purchase that. So for example, for me, I come across the free tool, but now I realize that they do with these other services, next time I'm in the market, I might think, do you know what? I might do it all down. in one place. Yeah, do it all in one place. Um, but they, we wouldn't have got there if we didn't give that free oh, tool for, yeah. for, for people to use. Okay, I like it. Um, an event? Yeah, the event that I was gonna say was, there is, um, an event about YouTube. So how to, I'm just gonna get it up now. I think becoming a YouTube influencer. Um, so O uh, doing an event with a guy called Christian Hughes, who's got, I think, well over 100 million views. Yeah, a two hour session. He's got, um, he set up a multi-million, um, what did he set up now? Let's have a look. Do, 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 do. Yeah, so I think he's got a YouTube channel that's focused on um, being a dad, I think, and also children's comics. So he creates, he's an illustrator, and mm -hmm. creates these videos, and he's got, all of his channels have had well over 100 million views, and I think that he may have 30-odd thousand subscribers or something a bit more. It's either something, or whether well in the 100,000s, but... Um, Toddler Fun Learning, right, that's what he's a founder of, and also How To Be A Dad. So they're two YouTube channels that um, both have over 100 million views. So they're uh, some good insights that he's gonna be able to give you some tips and tricks on how to get more video views, entertaining audiences, building a brand on YouTube, video strategy, that sort of thing. And it's free, and it's on Tuesday the 6th of March, six till eight at the basement, which is where we're at at the moment in the Tempest. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I think actually I might go to that because I want to know more about YouTube and I don't really know that much. However, I know a lot of people want to know more about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've just been talking then about the vlogs and people having millions of views and getting an income off it and people struggling at the same time, even though they're creating content. You know, this sort of stuff is good to hear from people that are yeah, actually doing it. Someone's actually done it. Yeah. I might, um, might come by to that. Um, so mine, I went to the Liverpool Girl Geeks Monzo event, which was really good, it was upstairs. Um, but my big one was, I went to TEDx Manchester last Sunday. Um, two and a half thousand people almost in Bridgewater Hall, listening to, I think it was about 12 or 13 speakers in the sort of the usual TED format. Um, some talks are better than others, yeah. um, some more useful than others. Um, personal standouts were um, Vikash Shah was discussing mental health right. um, and how um, it's often the people that you don't expect that need the most help. Um, Te Tez, yeah, Tez Ilyas um, was taught, he's a comedian, was talking about um, 
living as a Muslim in modern Britain and very funny, very um, poignant um, at the same time. Um, and then Rachel Clark as well, who's a doctor in Oxford, was talking about caring for people um, who are close to death. She's a, um, what's it called? There's a word for it. <laughs> for people who are like on the, like, um, who are nearly dying. Um, but yeah, she's, she specialises in like patients who are close to death and she was talking about how um, she sort of works with their families more than anything to make their experiences um, painless as possible. Right. Um, but yeah, like, amazing event, you know, to have that many people in the room. Um, Max Joseph was on, and the guy, the, the filmmaker, um, he was talking about what it's like being a minor celebrity, um, which, considering some of the minor celebrities that there actually are, I think he's probably selling himself a little bit short. Right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, amazing. Can't wait for the Liverpool one. Mm. Like, as good as I was expecting, if not better. Um, and for a lot of us, Ted, the the actual event, once a year, I think it's once a year anyway, it's just wildly out of our price range. Um, so to have access to that sort of thing at like a local level was, was amazing for I think I paid twenty five quid for our tickets. Yeah. So yeah, well worth well worth visiting. Um the Liverpool ones in June. Um so I'd if you get have a chance I'd, I'd definitely go. Yeah, I definitely want to be going to that. Yeah, hundred percent. Did see the one in Manchester and I was looking but they sold out really quick, didn't they? And then I don't think mm. they had a chance to, to get... They weren't, they weren't live for very long, and I think they actually mo- ended up moving it to Bridgewater Hall so they could sell more tickets. Oh, OK. Um, but I think I think they ended up there like 40, 50 quid, so... Not cheap. Plenty of people. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, so thank you for listening. Thanks very much.